brash manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist churches. And now, here's Pastor Garrett. We're going through seven different roads in the Bible. Now, we want to be clear, and we mentioned this on week one, that there is only one way to salvation. Amen? And that is through who? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But we're going to be looking at seven specific roads in the Bible. Now, the one before the message we're going to have today is the Messianic road. And by that, I mean the road that Jesus took from raising Lazarus from the dead and coming to Jerusalem for the Passover and the crowd shouting Hosanna, right? Hosanna to the son of David. There's some beautiful imagery there. Did you know that he probably passed Gethsemane by only a few feet as he was coming into Jerusalem there on that donkey? Just what that must have meant in his mind. And that Jesus passed under the same gate that all of the lambs and the doves and the cattle, the sacrificial animals, were as well. Amazing. But this week, what we're going to be taking a look at is one that's really important to me, and that is the way of suffering, or the song, the Via Dolorosa, Jesus from Pilate to Golgotha and the road that he took. Now, I'll be honest with you, when I was writing this message, I had a different plan in mind on how it was going to go, but that changed very quickly. And as I was writing this message, I became a little bit nervous because, I'll be honest with you, it's not one that makes me comfortable, which I think is a good thing. It's not one that will agree with your political views. It's touchy, especially in the climate that we're living in today, whether it be a social climate or political climate or whatever climate you might be thinking of. There's some other roads we're going to be taking a look at as well. The road to Emmaus, we're going to be looking at the Gaza Road, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We're going to be looking at Saul's conversion. And then finally, this is what I'm really looking forward to, we're going to be looking at the saints' half-hour trip. Amen? By God's grace, all of us are going to be traveling on the road to heaven and what that is going to look like. I cannot wait. But we're going to pick up in a story. We're going to pick up in the story of Jesus being marched into Jerusalem and the crowd is singing Hosanna. Do you know that Hosanna is where we get the word hurrah today? It's the same word. It means, oh, save, oh, save, oh, save. Oh, save the king. And the crowd was shouting hosannas and praises and accolades to Jesus, the Son of God. And the disciples must have been thinking, finally, Jesus is getting the recognition that he deserves. Finally, people are accepting that this is the man that is going to save us from the whip of the Romans. 
This is the one that we have been looking for, and they are going to finally crown Jesus king. And the crowd literally went wild. However, just a few days later, the same crowd in the same city with the same Jesus was saying something drastically different. If you'd go with me to Luke, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We're going to take a look here at verse 18. Luke chapter 23, verse 18. Luke 23, 18, the same crowd that was singing, God save King Jesus, is now saying something drastically different. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spoke again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. The crowd that was singing, God save Jesus, only a few short days later, is now calling for him to be executed in a horrific way. What changed? Jesus didn't. What in this crowd's mind changed for them to be loving Jesus one day and to be asking for his execution the next in place for a common criminal or what they thought was a common criminal. Well, there's more here than meets the eye, but I'd like to read you a quote here from Desire of Ages that sheds a little bit more light on this and it makes a lot more sense. It says, like the bellowing of wild beasts came the answer of the mob. Release unto us Barabbas. Louder and louder swelled the cry, Barabbas, Barabbas. Thinking that the people had not understood his question, Pilate asked, will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews? But they cried out again, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Pilate asked. Again, the surging multitude roared like what? Demons. Now notice this. Demons themselves in human form were in the crowd. And what could be expected but the answer, let him be crucified. In other words, this mob and this mob mentality that was so easily swayed into shouting crucify him was just as easily swayed by demons themselves in yelling, crucify him. In other words, the crowd was just going along with what felt good in the day of it. And friends, today, that's what Christianity is doing. Christianity today, I believe, is still the dominant religion in the United States of America and a lot of first world countries today. But friends, often our relationship with Jesus is not a relationship at all. It's a relationship with sensation. It's a relationship with emotion that we think is a relationship with Christ, but in reality, it's a dangerous game. This crowd started the chance of crucify him 
not by mere man, but demon themselves in human forms, started the chant of crucify the Son of God. But we're going to take a break here in the story because there's a few other things here that I'd like you to know as we continue. When Jesus chose the disciples who were all present at this time, when Jesus chose the disciples, he chose them from all different walks of life, didn't he? From common blue-collar laborers, from tax collectors and doctors, but one type of disciple that we don't talk about very much because we don't know a lot about them is rather mysterious, and it's actually a secret society of sorts. Let's take a look at this. Luke chapter 6 talks about what one of these disciples, and we don't really know much about this disciple by the name of Simon, not to be confused with Simon Peter. We see him referenced a few times in the Gospels, really just in the introduction, and he's also mentioned after the crucifixion in the book of Acts. So he remained faithful. But we find this about the Simon character. Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zelotes, or a zealot. You know what a zealot was in the time of Jesus? A zealot in the time of Jesus was a hero in the mind of a Jew, and he was a terrorist in the mind of a Roman. Especially during the time of Passover, which was when this was all taking place, there were crowds of people that were in Jerusalem. And the zealots were Jewish people that could not stand being under Roman oppression. And who's to blame them? I wouldn't want to be either. And so what they would do was not only verbally speak against the Romans, but they took it, let's just say, physically as well. The zealots were known for creating big diversions in the town, and as the Roman guards were going here and there to try and put down the diversion, the zealots would kill as many Roman legions as possible. The zealots hated, hated the Romans. And it's interesting to note that Jesus chose one of these zealots as a part of his disciples. You could say that being a zealot was an extreme political leaning. It's also interesting to notice here that he includes this zealot in the same sentence as Matthew. Matthew was considered a sellout in the Jewish mind. Matthew was one that basically sold his soul if you will, to get paid well by the Romans. In fact, it's very possible that Matthew had a Roman citizenship. Often the Romans would trade citizenship for them doing things that, well, like tax collecting, was not seen good in that culture. So we have somebody that thinks of one thing politically, and then we have the zealot, Simon, who is completely opposite, and yet they were both in the 12 disciples of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And yet somehow, they made it work. It's almost like Simon put the kingdom of God before Jerusalem. Amen? It's almost like Matthew put the kingdom of God before his wealth and riches. 
Maybe I could learn a lesson from that. How about you? It continues on with this, though. Simon wasn't the only zealot that was among the 12. In Mark chapter 3, it mentions this. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. And he surnamed them Bonagers, which is, interesting, the sons of thunder. Now, a lot of people will just notice this and say, oh, this was a pet name that Jesus gave for his disciples, when in reality, Jesus knew exactly what he was saying when he called James and John the sons of thunder. When you take a look at Josephus and some other interesting texts from that time, you'll find that the sons of thunder were perhaps the most murderous order of zealots that existed. They hated the Romans so much that they would probably put notches on their swords for how many they had killed. And yet, we find James, John, and Simon as a part of the Twelve. Now, the Bible doesn't say this explicitly, but you guys all know what Peter's personality is like. Wouldn't you say that Peter probably had leanings towards being a zealot as well? I think it'd be fair enough to say that. All of these men had very strong, even violent, political leanings, and yet they put it all aside for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen? Today, my friends, I believe our church is in a little bit of a crisis because often people are putting their political leanings above the kingdom of God. We're letting these things often divide our churches. And as we take a look today, this crowd that is yelling, crucify him to Jesus, is the same situation that our church has been put in as well. And we'll see why here in just a moment. Go back here to Luke chapter 23, if you would. Luke chapter 23, and we find here verse 18. Pilate is doing a very interesting political move here. It says, they cried out all at once, saying, away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. Pilate had already tried to get rid of Jesus and pass the buck, so to speak. It didn't work, and Jesus was back to him. He knew that Jesus was innocent, and if that wasn't enough, even his wife came to him and said, don't have anything to do with this man. But Pilate was afraid of the mob. Pilate was afraid of popular opinion, and so he tries to manipulate the crowd by saying, do you want this Jesus of Nazareth, or do you want this thief criminal Barabbas? And usually when we read the Bible, we accept that, okay, we'll just accept it at face value. But there's more to Barabbas than meets the eye, as we're going to find here in just a moment. In fact, Barabbas was not just some common thief or criminal. It was a lot more than that. When you take a look at Luke chapter 23, what we've just been reading, it talks about why Barabbas is imprisoned by the Romans. He must have done something wrong, and we read this by saying he was a murderer. And so most of us, when we talk about the crucifixion, we say a common murderer was put in the place of Jesus, and vice versa. But that's not it. It says here, who for a certain sedition, 
made in the city, and, and it continues on there. That word sedition there can translate to murder, can translate to mischief, but that same word, G4714, often translates mostly in the Bible to the word zealot. Did you know that? In fact, if you read some early history about Barabbas, you'll find that Barabbas was, in fact, a leader in the zealot group. So James and John and Simon and Peter, it was a very strong likelihood that they knew Barabbas personally. But even if that wasn't the case, that crowd, the Jewish people that wanted to be out of Roman oppression, knew exactly who Barabbas was. Barabbas was not just some common thief. Barabbas, to them, was a hero. A hero that was going to undermine the Romans and finally give them freedom from that oppression, which is exactly what the disciples and the majority of the Jewish people wanted from who? Jesus Christ. And that's not what Jesus was here to give. And so the crowd is faced with a very interesting decision. Are you going to choose the Savior of your sin, or are you going to choose a political Savior? A spiritual Savior or a political one? And I believe that our church is in the exact same boat in making a decision. Are we going to choose to put all of our time and efforts into a political savior or into a spiritual one? But this gets worse. Now, I love the King James Version, okay? But this next translation translates it in a way that's closer to that original language, and it really makes a lot of sense. It says here in Matthew 27, at that time they had a well-known prisoner whose name was what? Can you read that? What was his name? Jesus Barabbas. Wow. Almost like a antichrist, right? Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? Wow. In fact, the name Barabbas actually means, you'll remember Jesus there on the cross as he said, Abba, right? Father. That's not intimate language. Intimate language is, this is calling him like daddy, not father or Lord but intimate, dad, pops. Barabbas is literally translated to son of God. Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus of Nazareth. And friends, today, there are too many people that are too focused on Jesus Trump or Jesus Biden and not Jesus of Nazareth. Too many people today are focused on Jesus Republican or Jesus Democrat 
when in reality, the Savior that we need is not one from earthly oppression, but it's spiritual oppression we need saved from. Amen? And that's the kind of Jesus we serve. But could it be that our church, could it be that your family, could it be that you is more focused on politics and a Barabbas of sorts rather than Jesus of Nazareth? Friends, I really hope that that is not the case. But as Jesus is going there from the courts of Pilate and he is doomed to die and he is walking down that road to Golgotha and the crowd is spitting upon him and yelling at him, Jesus utters not a word except to a certain group of people. Luke 23, 27. And there followed him, as he's going down this path, a great company of people. Notice, and of who? Women. Which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never suck. Then shall they say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. It's amazing. You've seen some mob mentality in 2020, haven't you? On both sides of the fence. And if you are in a mob and you say the opposite of what that mob is standing for, what usually happens? You're going to get curb stomped at best, right? But this demonic crowd is yelling, crucify him to Jesus. And the only ones with the courage enough to stand up and actually express their sorrow for their Savior is a few women, a few mothers of Israel. And Jesus looks at these women And this is so important because this is one of the last things that we hear Jesus say. He talks to his mother on the cross. He talks to the thief and he talks to his father. I rest my spirit. But this is the only other conversation that we see Jesus say before he dies. So it's got to be important. And he looks to these women and he says, you're right to cry. You should be crying. But don't cry for me because this is what I was meant to do. This is what I was born to do. Don't cry for me, but cry for the decision that your people just made. Cry because your people made a decision for politicalness and not for spiritualness. Remember what it says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, the crowd had made their decision. The Messiah was cut off and not for himself. And isn't it interesting to note that Revelation quotes exactly what Jesus says there to those women. Those that do not accept Jesus in the last days, when he comes, says the exact same thing. He said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. And who will be able to stand? Who will be able to stand, friend? Those that have chosen a spiritual Savior. Those that did not choose an image of Jesus, those that did not choose a thought of who they wanted Jesus to be, but a scriptural identity of who their Savior truly is. 
sad note in history, the Jewish people chose a political leader. And a few years later, in AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed. Just like Jesus said. Do you know why Jerusalem was destroyed? It's because a group of political extremists by the name of zealots caused an uprising. Ironic, isn't it? And that group of zealots was crushed by the Roman army, and they made their last stand, the last Alamo stand, if you will, by the altar of sacrifice in the sanctuary itself. They traded political, what they thought, deliverance for the Son of God, for Jesus Christ, Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus of Nazareth. Yesterday, I had the privilege. There was a young man in Big Rapids that served four tours of duty in either Iraq or Afghanistan. He was in special forces. His list of medals and honors took a long time to read. An amazing young man. And he recently, due to his military service, they're not releasing any details, died in the line of duty. And so Big Rapids invited their community to stand next to the road as his funeral procession went to his final resting place. It was amazing last night. He was late, and so we waited there for an hour and a half. And a ton of people from the community waited as the plane was late for this man to go by to pay their respects. It was beautiful. And I remember just last night, this man that looked like he served in World War II, I mean, you could tell he had like Parkinson's almost, like he was having a hard time walking, and there's snow, and it's cold. It was cold last night. And he gets out there with an American flag, and he marches up to the snowbank by the road there, and he begins to plant in the flag, and he notices that his pole is too short because the flag is touching the ground. It took him forever to get there because he was walking slow so he wouldn't slip. He pulled the flag up and went back to his truck, and like a half hour later, came back with a pole that was long enough for the flag to plant down on. It was a beautiful sight. And finally, when that procession came, that procession only lasted about 20 seconds. But people waited for an hour and a half for those 20 seconds because they wanted to honor something that was greater than themselves. They wanted to let that family know that they could feel what they were feeling. It was beautiful. Friends, today, that man that dedicated his life received honor and love. But what that man did pales in comparison to what our Savior did for you. Does not even compare on any spectrum what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for you. In fact, comparing the two is laughable. But Jesus, when he was walking down that road to pay the penalty for all, to pay the penalty for those that chose a zealot over him, instead of honor, instead of salutes, instead of love, was spit on and mocked and beaten and ridiculed just so that you could have the choice of salvation. Jesus gives you the breath to condemn him if you choose to do that. 
Jesus gave those who were there in that crowd the spit and the saliva to spit on him. Jesus created that, and yet he took it just so that this world could have the opportunity to be saved. And why is it that we are so focused on political things over the cause of Christ? If we continue to elevate those things over the cause of Jesus, then my friends, we as a church are in rough shape. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Which is it that you're going to prioritize today? Because the destruction of Jerusalem is coming. But friends, the kingdom of the world is coming. Aren't you ready for that? Jesus came and went through this. He died like a common criminal so that he could come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we thank you that you came and you were born and you came and died and that you rose and that you're coming back. Father, the king has one more move and you're about to win. And Lord, we're so excited for that. May the things of this earth, may we grow dischanted with them and may we ever grow more and more in love with our Savior. And Father, may we do what you tell us to do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Big Rapids Seventh-day Adventist Church at 1031 Rose Avenue in Big Rapids, and their church service begins at 9.30 a.m. Or visit the Bristol Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 11-225 East 8 Mile Road in Tustin. And their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. Or visit the Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 17290 U.S. Highway 10 in Hersey. And their church service begins at 3 p.m. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.